You're listening to the free edition of Sweden in Focus from The Local. If you would like to listen to a full-length version of the podcast, as well as an additional midweek episode, please check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade to Membership Plus. Here's this week's free edition. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Sweden in Focus, the local's weekly news podcast. We're recording this episode on the 29th of February of all days, and this week we'll cover the latest on NATO and reaction from Russia as Sweden creeps ever closer to membership. We'll discuss Sweden's support for Ukraine two years on from Russia's full-scale invasion, and we'll give you the lowdown on Vasa Loppet, which is one of the highlights of the Swedish sporting calendar. For Membership Plus subscribers, we'll ask if Ulf Kristersson, the Prime Minister, is spending too much taxpayer money on gym equipment and parties. We'll explain why foreigners in Sweden should go to at least one football match here. And finally, we'll speak to the head of Jobsprånget, a programme helping foreigners find work, about the current state of the Swedish labour market for international job seekers. I'm your host, Paul Omani, and with me today in Stockholm is James Savage, and we are joined from the Malmö studio by Becky Waterton. How are you both? Excellent, thank you. I'm good, thanks. How are you? Very well, thank you. So last week we spoke about how Hungary's parliament was due to vote to ratify Sweden's NATO application on Monday, which duly happened. That wasn't quite the end of the story, James, was it? Can you tell us what happened next? Well, I suppose what happened next was that Sweden's political establishment um, went into celebratory mode. They sent out invitations, I believe, to parties celebrating Sweden's membership of NATO at, for instance, the American embassy in Washington. And then it kind of turned out that Sweden hadn't joined NATO after all, Mm. or wasn't going to be able to join NATO quite as soon as it expected. Because there are further stages in the process that still need to happen. And the big roadblock right now, well, it's still Hungary. Mm. It's Hungary has not yet formally approved Sweden's NATO application because although the Hungarian parliament has approved it, Hungary's president has not. Hungary is currently in the process of appointing a new president. And this president, Tamás Sulyok, who is the, the presumptive next president of Hungary, he will not take office until, the, at the time of recording, it looks like it will be Tuesday next week. Mm. He needs to approve the parliament's decision before the next stage of the process, of the NATO accession process for Sweden, can take place. So, on Tuesday, he will approve, or at some point after Tuesday at least, he will approve Sweden's NATO application. And then... A few more things still have to happen before Sweden joins NATO. So the NATO Secretary General will need to invite Sweden 
in formally. The Swedish government will then need to formally make a decision to join. It'll probably say yes. All, all of, all, I think all of these, all of these um, parts are a foregone conclusion. They will happen, but they need to happen formally in order for this to, in order, order for this to go through. And then the accession protocol needs to be lodged in Washington DC. So the talk on Monday was that all of this would be done already, and that Sweden's flag would be raised at NATO headquarters in Brussels on Friday, that's to say the 1st of March. But it hasn't happened, so the flag hasn't been raised. And so we're talking about a wait of another week or two, probably. Mm. Did Sweden not anticipate this, that they were going to have to wait for this new president? Utterly, It's utterly incomprehensible that this wasn't talked about more, I think, in the Swedish media and by Swedish politicians, that, no, that none of the Swedish politicians are saying, hang on, we know that there is a change of president in Hungary. The president has to approve all of mm. this. So perhaps there'll be a delay. Was there no? I, I, it's it's beyond my comprehension <laughs> that there wasn't, and there, that the Swedish ambassador in Hungary wasn't urgently phoning the Prime Minister of Sweden to say, "Hang on, don't get too excited yet. There's still another that part of the process that need, that needs to be gone through." No, they just went into full celebratory mode in, on the media and clearly in embassies around the world. It's 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 baffling. I mean, they've gone through all of this with Turkey. They know, you know, Erdogan had to sign the document after it was approved by. Parliament. They, they, they understand the process has to also go through the head of state. I just find it wild that no one thought, oh, maybe we shouldn't start celebrating before it's actually been approved, you know? Given as well, you know, the number of false starts in this in this whole NATO application, you know, we, we started out when, when Sweden first decided to submit its NATO application. We started out with, with, with people speculating that it would take a few months. Mm. And, you know, they were proven wrong. And they were shown time and again to be have been over optimistic in in thinking that it would go you know more smoothly than it than it did so that wiser heads didn't prevail this time is crazy and we also reported on the local that the russian ambassador to sweden had commented on sweden joining soon what's he been saying becky essentially the same that russia has been saying since sweden started the process of joining nato so he threatened that Russia would, and this is a quote, take countermeasures of a political and military technical nature in order to minimise threats to its national security uh, in a mm. post on Telegram, saying that the content of these countermeasures would depend on the extent to which Sweden integrates into NATO. So, for example, if NATO troops, weapons or kind of other military assets are moved into Sweden. Russia also made the same threat when Finland joined the alliance and experts have essentially interpreted it as moving military units and infrastructure, as well as increasing military exercises. It is worth noting with this NATO expansion to Finland and Sweden that all of the countries bordering the Baltic Sea, except Russia, are now NATO members or, you know, almost NATO members in the case of Sweden, which obviously Russia is not too happy about. And the uh, the ambassador actually said, like, the Baltic Sea will not be a NATO lake as some people have been calling it. There have also been reports in Sweden of hacker attacks this week. James, can you tell us a little bit about these and is there any connection to Sweden's imminent NATO membership? Possibly. There were two highly publicised hacker attacks this week, one against the Sofia Hemet private hospital in Stockholm, the other against the municipality of Bjuv in Skorna. And we don't know who is behind the hospital attack, but Bjuv has named a Russian hacker group, Akira, and it's a, it's conducted a ransomware attack on Bjuv, where, so it's threatening to leak confidential data online unless Bjuv pays them lots of money. Now, theoretically, Akira is a private hacker group, but of course, 
given Russia's long history of hybrid warfare, there are some experts who think that, you know, there may be a link to geopolitics to Sweden's NATO application. However, let's put in the context of two things. First of all, that we don't know that this is the Russian state involved. There's no actual proof of that. Um, Secondly, that Russian forms of interference, of hybrid warfare, of, of misinformation, all of these things, these have been going on all across Europe for quite a long time. And, you know, we've just seen in, in, in recent weeks that France has um, publicly stated that Russia was planning a massive dim- disinformation campaign in France. Now, France isn't just about to join NATO. France has been in NATO for, for decades. So the fact that Russia may or may not be carrying out interference campaigns in Sweden doesn't necessarily mean that it's all to do with NATO. Obviously, Russia doesn't want Sweden to join NATO. Russia is unhappy about Sweden joining NATO. But the fact that it is interfering in Sweden may have happened anyway. Yeah. And Akira, the group you mentioned, that's the same group that was allegedly behind the major ransomware attacks that we reported on just over a month ago. And we had Shahid Raza, the director of RISE Cybersecurity Unit on the podcast to talk about that. And we can add a link in the notes back to that episode. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The main justification behind Swedish politicians' decision to join NATO was, of course, Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine two years ago. And Sweden has also been unwavering in its support for Ukraine. But how strong has Sweden's official support for Ukraine been? And has it grown or diminished over time, Becky? Um, I would say it's been strong from the beginning. There have been multiple major aid packages, including air defence systems and ammunition. Prime Minister Ulf Kristersson has met with President Zelensky a number of times. Sweden's even hosted training camps for Ukrainian soldiers in Sweden. Right after the war broke out, Zelensky spoke directly to the Swedish parliament, saying that the blue and yellow flag is a symbol of freedom. Obviously, they both have the same colours in their flags. Having said that, The support has not been kind of absolute, unconditional. Ukraine hasn't been given everything it's asked for. So this week, Christensen said that it was interaktuellt, so basically not on the cards for Sweden to send ground troops to Ukraine. And Sweden still hasn't officially sent the Gripen fighter jets to Ukraine that, that Ukraine's been asking for. Although officials have hinted this could occur after the country formally joins NATO. So, I mean, I would say support is still strong. It's been strong since the beginning, but that doesn't mean that Ukraine will just get everything that it asks for. And Sweden cleared its biggest aid package yet last week. 
And what about public attitudes towards supporting Ukraine? Have they changed much in the past two years? Swede support for Ukraine has is strong and has been strong throughout the war, much more so than in many other European countries and much more and at a much more stable level than in many other European countries. So over half of all Swedes who answered a survey recently by the European Council for Foreign Relations wanted the EU to ensure that Ukraine recovered all of its sovereign territory. That's including Crimea. Now, if you look across the EU, only 31% of people wanted this in, in in the EU as a whole. And in the latest Eurobarometer report, that's the EU's official statistics bureau, their, their report from December showed that 91% of Swedes supported giving military support for Ukraine. And that was more than in most other European countries. And Swedes have been pretty consistent in this all the way through the war. For those that don't know, Sweden even has a word for like being scared of Russia or being cautious of Russia, Ruskrik. There's like a deep-seated rivalry. I don't even know if that's the right word, but I mean, for Sweden, it's it's almost like in a Swede's DNA to choose Ukraine over Russia in this war. It's like, obviously, you choose the side fighting against Russia. Yes, that's true. At the same time, there's a counterbalancing tendency in Sweden that was very prevalent, I would say, when I came here 20 years ago, which was that Sweden didn't get involved in conflicts. It didn't send weapons to other countries um, that were involved in war. So I think, yes, there's Ruskrek. There's always been that sort of Ruskrek, but there's been a sea change in attitudes to getting involved in military conflict mm. and in other other people's, so in yeah. inverted commas, military conflicts. Yeah. So when Sweden decided to send weapons to Ukraine, it was the first time it had done so since the Finland's winter war against the Soviet Union. Exactly. Yeah. But I mean, as far as like Swedes' attitudes go, I think there's a lot of Swedes that even if Sweden was still formally neutral, they would want Ukraine to kind of retain or recover all of its territory. Yeah. But there's a difference between that and Swedes actually supporting getting involved in some way um, as a country themselves. Yeah, that's definitely changed. Okay, thank you both. I just want to take a moment now to talk about an episode of Sweden in Focus Extra coming up on Wednesday, in which I chat to the author Lola Akinmade Okestrom. Lola has been on the podcast before to talk about racism in Sweden, but this time we wanted to get her in to chat about the real meaning of logom, which she has previously written a book about. Let's listen to a quick preview. I think I remember the first time was when I came across the ethos in play was during a dinner party where everybody was sitting quietly and waiting for each person to take their turns talking. Like it wasn't this kind of vibrant, boisterous atmosphere. It was more like, "Mm -hmm." and then we all keep quiet until one person is done talking and then it goes on to the next. And so that was where I started digging in deeper. What was this unspoken rule that felt like Everybody had to get equal turns. Everybody had to add equal opinions. Everybody had to give equal input into a situation, you know. And then as you move from setting to setting, for example, in the in a workplace, work environment, a business setting, it's this consensus culture, right? Again, it's tied to stress because if we all agree, then we can't say we didn't understand and we and that avoids conflict, which brings stress, right? So there's so many situations where the ethos kind of manifests itself in terms of the stress avoidance. That was Lola Akinmade Okestrom, and we'll have that full interview for Membership Plus subscribers on Wednesday. 
Let's talk now about Vasa Lopet, which is coming up this Sunday. And I suppose, James, the best place to start is at the very beginning. What is Vasa Lopet? Well, it's a 90-kilometre long ski race held every year on the first Sunday in March. And it goes between Beria, which is outside Selen, and Mura, so up in Dalarna. So the course is based on a route supposedly taken by Gustav Vasa as he fled from Danish King Krihan II on skis, of course. <laughs> um, and it's been held every year since 1922, apart from two years when it was cancelled due to lack of snow and one year in 1934 when it was cancelled due to a lack of participants. Mm. Now, there is no danger of that these days. Vasa Lopez is incredibly popular now. It's held over the course of eight days with different races, one for young people, one for women and so on. And then the elite race, the real Vasilopet, is now held on Sunday, still mm. the first Sunday of March. There's a kind of a touch of Las Vegas to it this year, you were telling me, Becky. So instead of a drive-through wedding, you get the skiing option in Mora. What can you tell us about this? Before you get excited, I cannot promise that there will be any Elvis impersonators there. But <laughs> <laughs> apparently... I must admit, I've never done the Vasilopet, so don't know if you got that impression from me. There is a church just after the finish line in Mora, which, you know, while you're coming over the finish line, you see the spire. It's apparently very meaningful for people that have done Vasilopet. So some bright spark, I don't know if this was someone at Vasilopet or at Svenska Kyrkan, came up with the idea of a collaboration to offer those finishing the race the opportunity to kind of ski directly from the finish line into this church, or I guess up to the church, maybe not right up to the altar, to round off the day with a wedding, as you do. And Svenska Schutgan is the Church of Sweden. Yeah, sorry, that's the Swedish church, absolutely. So they actually have instructions on the website running through how it works, which I quite enjoyed. It's like, step one, propose to your partner and receive a yes. So it's not quite as simple as just rocking up on the day. There's a little bit of paperwork you have to do in advance, like get some documents from the tax agency. For sporty couples who haven't quite got around to tying the knot, it's a chance to make a memorable day even more memorable, I would say. Okay. And when we were talking about Vosselopet earlier in the week, James, you mentioned a record-breaking 85-year-olds. Uh, what's the story there? Oh, this guy is wonderful. He's called Justa Lönnelid. He is 85 and he's just skied Vosselopet for a record-breaking 61st time. Wow. Incredible man. He was interviewed on the on the news after after completing the the course. So he completed it this week. In he one completed of it this week in one of the in one of these earlier races. Exactly. So he was um, he was interviewed at the end of the course. His face was covered in blood. He said he had fallen down twenty odd times during the course, but picked himself up and kept on going. He'd broken his poles three times and did part of the race with just one pole. He's an absolute legend. He's incredible. I, 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 I encourage you to, um, to Google him and look up, the, look up the photos because it's quite the sight. But um, what a hero. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe you can do it 61 times uh, sometime. I don't think I've got 61 <laughs> years left. I have to do it twice a year. I think that's pushing it a bit. <laughs> you could do multiple races. You could do like the Shevarsan and then the Big Vasa. I don't think I qualify for Shevarsan, but I could, I could, I could perhaps <laughs> qualify for, for yes, like, exactly. Like if, if I could do ninety kilometers ski race twice a year for the next thirty years. Have you tried cross country skiing? I have actually never tried cross country skiing. Have you? I have. Is it? Was it? What's it like? It's um, hard. It's really, really good <laughs> exercise. I'm really, I'm really bad at it. Now, whenever I actually went skiing downhill on Tuesday, because it's like the midterm mm. school holidays at the moment, went to Huddinge so that you can ski in Stockholm. But I'm, I'm so bad. I never feel more foreign than when I'm on, on a pair of skis. Yeah. 
<laughs> just like everybody around me looks so natural and I'm <laughs> plowing my way down the hill. <laughs> uh, and it's the same when I'm on cross-country skis. I can just about wake my way around, but everything is, is a struggle, to be honest. Oh, but at least you've tried it. That's yeah. um, mm. a step better than me. How about you, Becky? I've done it in Norway when I was like 11 and in Switzerland. And I remember it being harder when I was older than it was when I was younger. (laughs) I don't know what that says about me. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. That's all for this week's free edition of Sweden in Focus. If you'd like to hear a full-length version of the podcast each week, as well as an additional midweek episode with more interviews and analysis, please upgrade to Membership Plus. Make sure to check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade. Sweden in Focus is a podcast by The Local Europe. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. The publisher is James Savage.